0: Welcome to Open Minded Healing, where the topic is alternative health. We will be having conversations with the practitioners that offer a variety of alternative healing modalities, as well as everyday people who have recovered their health outside of the MD's office. Join us with an open mind for conversations that may provide solutions to healing your own body on a mental, physical, and spiritual level. I'm Marla Miller, let's begin. My guest today, Lexi Prince, has a bachelor's degree in kinesiology with an emphasis on exercise science, which led her to her latest venture of training 22 athletes drafted to the NFL this year. She has been a personal trainer for six years, serving clients all over the spectrum, from weight loss to strength training. Lexi comes from a tennis background and had expectations of a college scholarship until she became debilitated by rheumatoid arthritis. By learning how to manage her arthritis, she is now currently able to power lift competitively and enjoy coaching tennis and getting back into playing the sport herself. Welcome, Lexi, and thanks for being here to share your personal story of healing. Thanks for
1: that introduction, Myla. Happy to be here.
0: Let's start from the beginning of your health journey. What were the first symptoms you experienced that made you start searching for answers and what age did this happen?
1: So when I was about 14, I fell snowboarding, and originally we thought I fractured my wrist, but our whole rule was you know, you wait till the next day to go to the ER and figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> my stepmom actually has worked as with a pharmaceutical company that helped with rheumatoid arthritis. So she actually noticed the unusual swelling and abnormalities with it. And so for her, it caught her eye and she said, Well. Let me know if your other side starts to swell, which is a symptom of RA as opposed to just fracturing the one wrist. So when the next day the other side started to swell, that's when she was like, okay, I'm taking you to the rheumatologist that I know that I'm good friends with and I know will take good care of you. Really, that was the first point where we realized I had RA and I was actually diagnosed then.
0: Well, that's very fortunate, I guess, for you that she understood all of that from having worked in that industry. So you could skip some of the initial steps that people would normally go through trying to figure out what they had.
1: But so before I was 14, growing up playing tennis, I would go, and be practicing and I'd have aches in my knees and my ankles And my hands and my wrists and to the point where it was like super painful to practice. And I went and told my mom who didn't know anything about RA was just like, Hey, you're being a hypochondriac, go back on the court and practice. It was just expected that I was supposed to do something with it. So, you know, for her, it was, okay, I'm trying to get out of practice. So growing up, I don't know when exactly the symptoms hit, but because she was just like, Hey, you're being hypochondriac, go back out and practice. It was kind of just brushed off and I wasn't, I never really like had a point where it was like, okay, I need to deal with this yet. You know?
0: Yeah. Two very Um, different approaches. Totally. (laughs) So you went directly to the rheumatologist and started what blood work, how did they handle it and what protocol did they give you?
1: When I was 14, I went to the rheumatologist, they did blood work and determined rheumatoid factor. They immediately put me on to start or to, I guess, stop the flare and control the inflammation. They put me on, I believe like Celebrex, folic acid to counter that. Humira, I think I was put on fairly early. I don't remember if it was the first visit that they they put me on it, but I was on that every other week, taking a shot of that. And then I know I had multiple cortisone shots. I believe my first one was maybe that first or second visit just because I had so much inflammation there alone. Methotrexate, prednisone, sulfasalazine, kind of just, and then with the Celebrex as I guess later on, as each one stopped having as much of an effect, they'd change it to like naproxene or a sister drug similar to Celebrex.
0: So they threw the whole arsenal at you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know,
0: (laughs) a lot of a lot of drugs right there.
1: Yeah, it was uh, definitely a switch up from being a healthy kid to okay, here's a few painkillers a day, and you know, hey, one day we could get to take ten.
0: Yeah, I bet, especially at that young age, to suddenly be taking that long list of medications. So, at this point, what were you telling yourself in your head? Like, what stories were you thinking about your health?
1: So to be honest, I was told it was a hereditary thing. And when that rheumatoid rheumatologist talked to me, um, or at least from what I got out of the conversation, granted, it was many years ago at this point, I was told that I was just going to have this for the rest of my life, you know, be ready to just have meds to manage the pain and deal with it. And, you know, that if it didn't go away by the time I was 20, then it wasn't. Juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. It was overall rheumatoid arthritis, and I'd have it for the rest of my life. If I kicked it by the time I was twenty, it was just juvenile, and it was just a weird spurt kind of thing. So, for me, it was like I didn't really know what to think. Uh, I definitely had a little bit of a depression since you know I didn't. I had never not been an athlete. I had never not been able to go play sports or practice or you know do anything. I I was never like I guess a stagnant kid or like able to sit in one spot, but with this, I couldn't go do anything. So it definitely hit me pretty hard.
0: (laughs) When they put you on all these medications, were you finding any kind of relief? I did
1: somewhat, like I definitely, there was a lot less pain, but I mean, I remember just, I was at the point where mentally for me, it was like, if I wanted to go to the gym, I granted, this is like, gosh, when I was 20, so this is six years in, I remember having the thought of like, if I wanted to go to the gym, I needed to take four ibuprofen before so that I could just go work out. I think that a little bit was more of, okay, anti-inflammatories and all these medicines they're putting me on, they're doctors, they're supposed to know what they're doing, they're supposed to have my best interest at heart, so because they're giving me this, it's going to work, and so I don't know if it was more me believing that it was going to work or it you know, being that great of a drug, (laughs) but I did definitely have a little bit more relief and was able to, you know, go to school and write things after a bit, you know, like the first bit of it, I had my wrists and hands in splints and wasn't even able to use my hands and it was hard to walk. So once I had at least had those medications in my body and helping, I think that it definitely had an impact and was able to help me since... Is actually able to go do things myself.
0: Yeah. So, what would you say if you look back? What was a moment that seemed like the lowest point for you?
1: Gosh, had a few of them. Probably one of them was when I was first diagnosed, and like I had OT or like orthopedic therapy, like to basically just be able to try and move my fingers and hands. But I remember those being in splints for a while and trying to use like, and I this was before we had all the speak into your phone or I don't know, maybe they had it then, but we didn't know about it. But it was like the first dictation app where you could speak into it and it would type for you. And I remember being in class and needing to use that instead of writing notes because I couldn't take notes or like asking somebody to like, Hey, can you carbon copy your notes? Cause I can't write. That was probably, that was around my sophomore year and my junior year. I had another low where I definitely, with stress and my arthritis flaring, it was taking such a toll on my body. I had a major life event that had happened that may have contributed to the depression then, but was pretty much completely bedridden. I couldn't, get, I couldn't even really get myself up out of bed. And I'd be up for maybe two hours a day to like eat and sometimes talk to a psychiatrist and that was it. But I remember like it just being hard to do like anything for school And so I ended up in home hospital teaching because I couldn't go to school for the whole day and write everything and do what I needed to do as a student. That was, I would say those two are probably the lowest.
0: So you, you were bedridden. Was it because every joint in your body was in pain and inflamed? Yeah, or a particular part of your body,
1: really every joint. So my knees and ankles, it hits pretty hard. And same with my wrists. There's only been like a couple of times where I've had bad hip pain. But usually, or at least like, from talking to other doctors and things, of um, uh, usually it like takes a little bit longer to get to like the bigger joints like your hips. So at least I had that going for me where it was mostly just in my knees and ankles, but still like walking just was super painful. So it didn't really give me much motivation to get up.
0: And especially at such a young age to not have that social life either on top of all the pain, I imagine was really difficult. Um, So you went about this, you were on the medication for how many years would you say?
1: Um, From the time I was 14 till about... um, Twenty-three years old,
0: and um, when did you decide that this wasn't working for you, or you wanted to try something new? Maybe
1: I actually remember this day very vividly. <laughs> I have always been afraid of going off the medication. Um, my stepmom, being very knowledgeable about the pharmaceutical side of it, was always taught that you know, without this drug, without Humira, that my arthritis would flare immediately. So it's always been. A what if kind of thing and this day i woke up and it took me two hours laying in bed to just close my hands and that was on the medication that was me trying not to take prednisone and i was still taking the immunosuppressant right so they, my immune system's pretty much been shut down this whole time and it still took me two hours to close my hand and with that i said you know what I talked to a friend and he recommended to do a gluten-free diet. And so with that, I threw away the rest of the medication I had and cold turkeyed it, said, you know what? If I flare, I flare, but I'm flaring right now. You know, I, it's already taking me two hours, close my hand, and this is ridiculous. So with that, I then went to a gluten-free diet. And I had stiffness once in the first like six months. You know, like there's for sure like two weeks where I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. We'll see. But I was determined to have anything else work. So with the gluten free, I did. I was really good about it for a while. And I remember, oh, actually, the stiffness came. I had had a piece of cake at a friend's birthday. And I was like, totally forgot to eat. I was like, cake. Mm. Uh, I love cake. And so <laughs> um, I did. I had a piece of cake. And the next day, I was like super stiff. And I was like, I had gluten last night, but I knew I had the gluten but overall the, the gluten free diet completely helped and i found that if something did have gluten or if i had had a little bit of a flare i started taking um chlorella and that was like a good so it's basically supposed to bind to toxins in your body and um that was something that if i like knew i had eaten gluten or something or i had mistakenly eaten it i was like okay i'll go home i'll take a little bit of chlorella and it ended up being part of my daily routine actually just to take a little bit just to you know, make sure everything was healthy and clear. But yeah, yeah, it was definitely, I would say the changing moment for me was, okay, I'm done with what if something bad happens? It's already bad.
0: You know? Yeah. Were there any other dietary restrictions that you put on yourself?
1: No, I, I just did the gluten-free. At first it kind of ended up being more keto because I didn't really know how to go gluten-free. I remember looking up on my phone, does rice have gluten? Does uh, whatever, does this sauce have a gluten? Soy sauce is full of gluten. And I never would have thought. So <laughs> yeah. things like that. But I originally, like the whole time it was just gluten-free. Yeah. Um,
0: and were you doing anything else during this time or was strictly dietary? I would say
1: it was just dietary as far as like certain things that I guess I realized later on, my boyfriend actually was loves pizza. Okay. So as I'm gluten-free, he's kind of joining with this, but did question it. And was like, well, you're doing gluten-free because you're arthritis and it's supposed to help. What if you're putting the power in the gluten? And um, for me, it kind of struck me because my belief on certain things such as religion is religion is amazing for people, for their soul, because it gives us something to believe in and something to give the power to. So you know, we know that everything in life is going to be okay because based on our religion, something else holds a higher power and they are watching out and they know no matter, I promise you, no matter what religion you believe in, tell me that there's not a higher power watching out for you and making sure that your life is as it should be, you know? So for me, it it was, it, this gluten was my higher power. And so it was, it was a weird transition because it took a little bit for me to trust it. Is we'd go somewhere and we'd go out to eat. And as anybody else who's tried a gluten free diet knows, you're always asking, is this gluten free? Is that gluten free? And you never know. You know, some places the fries are, some places they're not. And so we'd go out and he would ask, is this gluten free? And I'd order it. However, you know, I'm not going to tell you I'm gluten free. I don't want to know if it has gluten and knowing that flares can be, you know, a day, maybe two later. He'd ask me a few days later and say, did you have any stiffness? And it was the same either way, uh, whether there was gluten or whether it wasn't, he'd ask me, do you have any stiffness? So then it was a completely, you know, blind trial. I'd, I had no clue. You know, I couldn't respond knowing that he was only asking because I should have been stiff with that. You know, we found that I believed that all this stuff didn't have gluten. And so I was fine. I I didn't flare. And so now I'm fully back to eating gluten and totally fine. But what it made me realize is that not that it's all in my head, but that my mind has so much more power over just in general, like just over this disease, you know, that if you give this disease the power to say you're debilitated, Then you're going to be, but if you say, you know, this is this is my body, this is my joints, and I'm not going to be debilitated, I'm going to go run, jump, and play, you know. Then you're going to be able to because you're putting your mind towards it, and that's the energy you're creating. Not to sound too hippie-ish, but it is. It's the energy you're creating, and um, it brought me back to yeah,
0: what you focus on expands. So I guess that goes in line with that.
1: No, completely it definitely made me think about certain experiences. Like I know, um, over summers, it was a lot easier for me to move. And, um, over summers, I was, um, out at my uncle's with my cousins and we were at the beach every day, running, jumping, playing. And I wouldn't take my medicine because I didn't want to, it made me feel so gross and disabled. And I didn't, it was so much to take. I didn't want to do it. And so, being a rebellious little fifteen-year-old, um, <laughs> I didn't take my medicine, and would like, what do you know, I'm able to go run, jump, and play. But I was away from certain stressful environments that I had at home, and the minute I jumped back into those stressful environments, I, I did. I found myself needing to be back on all of the medicine, which was definitely not very smart since things like Humira take two to three months to get in your system. But it was, I definitely needed the medicine a lot more at home. And it made me realize that my whole disease, my whole autoimmune disease and flaring is stress induced, that it's all based on my environment. And when I'm stressed, it goes, you know, so if I'm not managing my stress, it's, I will have it.
0: So when you talk about stress, what types of stress are you talking about?
1: So for me, for me, it was a lot more my relationship with my mother. She is not super, um, I would say super healthy. And so for me, it caused a lot of stress, basically trying to help her with things. And I didn't realize how much stress it was causing me until I was away from the environment. And so with that, I would say that um, mental stress, e- emotional stress. I don't. I wouldn't say physical stress, really. Um, to be honest, I've, uh, as you know, I've studied exercise science and um, have taken multiple classes on just bone growth, joint health. Like we study all this stuff to be able to make sure we're training athletes or even just the general population with good intentions and being able to help them no matter what they need. If you actually load joints, even with heavier stimulus, it actually increases your ability to create new bone and uh, increases your bone mineral density. And so you actually have stronger bones. And granted, powerlifting or you know, things where it's like super crazy intense may get to your joints one day. But if you're doing it recreationally, I, I really don't think if you're, you know, stretching, taking care, doing like massage. And I mean, I'm a huge believer in C B D things like that. But a massage and just even eating healthy, your, your body is going to repair itself. So I don't think physical stress is as much of a worry for me as more of the mental and emotional stress.
0: Yeah, that's a great clarification and a great way to describe physical stress on your body too. Mm-hmm. So what did you end up doing to relieve your stress? So you talked um, about massage and -hmm. and what other things could people try to relieve stress?
1: To be honest, if you have like plants or a pet raising and taking care of something else, someone else, you know, I had a definitely detour in my life where I went up and was living in the mountains and growing weed, but granted, let's call it a plant. And it was, it was just purely, I was in the middle of nowhere, no cell service. And I had all of these plants that I needed to take care of, that I needed to grow. Right. And so for me, it was like, I'd wake up in the morning and I knew I needed to go feed them. And then while, you know, I was doing the feed or the water, um, while that was all running, I'd go and I'd just breathe and I'd take in, it was actually where I learned to meditate. Even it was the only, really probably the only time in my life I've ever been able to meditate, but I was, I was just able to breathe and feel the clarity of just the fresh air and the, I mean, again, call me a hippie, but, you know, even just the energy from the trees or the plants and like just feeling myself heavy in the ground and feeling just as I breathe lighter and lighter, just kind of lifting up in a sense, feeling the sunshine warming me up and, you know, having good energy come to me. I know that sounds totally weird, but you know that it in a sense like that helped me you know realize that I was taking everything too seriously, you know that at the end of the day it's me who I'm here with and so that meditation I picked up yoga, I did it on an app and you know would download them when I was in town and when I'd be out there with no service, I'd have them downloaded on my phone to follow a yoga so I did i I picked that up, which was super i would say in a sense relaxing in a sense strengthening not only my body because you're holding poses yoga's in case you never tried it it's great definitely recommend it <laughs> but they kind of help teach you to just breathe and be one with your body or however you're moving so i really enjoyed that too and i think all three of those helped play a role in me realizing how to let go of stress for anybody Dealing with a lot, just you know, plants or pets, taking care of something else. <laughs> Overall, I would recommend you know if somebody is currently dealing with stress or you know you're realizing you're having a flare, try doing something to alleviate that stress. Um, whether it be you know download an app, I know uh, Peloton, Nike Training Club. There's like different people doing it on YouTube. You know, do some yoga or even just some breathing. There's FitMind, which is a good uh, meditation app. That I really like Um, and they kind of teach you how to meditate a little bit. So when you're a little bit more in the city and in the hustle and bustle of things, they definitely help you kind of give guidance on how to clear your mind. Massage is always good. You know, the body responds really well to touch also, you know, or do something like I did. You don't need to go out into the mountains, but you know, get a little plant for the house or maybe plant one in your backyard. If you have one and take care of it, watch it grow, you know, or a pet when you do you know, it's the same way as, you know, when you give a gift to somebody, you're, you get excited because you're giving something, you know, if you can give back to something else, whether it be a pet or a plant, or, you know, even just your husband or boyfriend or, you know, girlfriend or wife giving to somebody else will make you feel better. And I bet you nine times out of 10, they'll want to give it
0: right back to you. Um, I think that's very true. When you're, open yourself up to receiving and giving, it really mm-hmm. does change your thought process. You're not so wrapped up in the pain and what's going wrong in your life if you're consciously giving and helping others. Truly, So I think that's all very good advice. And it's great that you gave specifics too. apps people can actually go to that are helpful. There's three questions I like to ask everyone who's triumphed over a serious health issue. So what was your biggest hurdle, biggest lesson and kindest thing? So we'll start with what was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome in order to heal?
1: Not being afraid of what could happen, not being afraid of the what ifs, you know, the, what if I flare the, what if this doesn't work always the, what if it doesn't work caused me so much stress. And, um, it almost made me, whatever I tried not work, you know, the minute I was like, Hey, I haven't been flared all, you know, all summer. And I it didn't occur to me that I was in a different environment, but you know, like now I'm back in this environment and I'm flaring. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm flaring. And then it's worse because I'm stressed. So I would say, stop being afraid of the what-ifs just let everything run its course and just be confident in whatever you're trying, be confident that it's going to work and as long as you're confident, it will.
0: What was your biggest lesson that you learned from the whole experience?
1: Kind of goes into, or follows that same suit as the hurdle, but that your mind's just so powerful. So whatever you believe will be, that is what it will be. You know, there's this saying, uh, I I don't know if it's famous or a lot of people just say it, but it's guess it, I and it's like, what will be, will be, you know, and well, you actually told me this one of "Don't let the disease define you." You know, I really like that. That's something you said because I think that with our minds, a lot of the time when we are diagnosed with something like this, we do. We're like, and I'm I'm guilty of this as well. Of this is who I am now. I am this diseased person, and I'm never gonna get better. I need to have the meds. And no, your mind's stronger than that. You know, you're you're given this because you can deal with it, but your mind's stronger than that. And you will get out of it. You just need to know you're going to get out of it.
0: Yeah. Don't attach to it. Don't make it your identity. And what was the kindest thing someone did for you during this time?
1: I had a lot of people be really kind. But one thing that I'll always remember is when I was first diagnosed and I had, I had my hands in splints. I couldn't feed myself. I have four brothers and they used to each take turns helping me eat at dinner with my parents. And it was, it was kind of fun for them of like, you know, who was going to help me eat tonight. And so my parents just let them all, you know, help feed me. And one of my brothers, who was one of my youngest brothers, Jake. He was like, no, I, you know, he was feeding me that night and he takes the fork and scoops up my food and whew, airplanes it into my mouth. And, you know, it was at the time I was like, cracking up and it I did, it kind of just brought some goofiness into it. And I think at some point I kind of was like, okay, no, no, I really need to eat. But <laughs> just looking back on it, it, it was sweet that, you know, he wanted to bring some fun into my life and knew that I was really struggling with the pain and wanted to make sure that I still had some time to be fun and be a kid.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So as far as your health now, Just to recap it and where you're at today.
1: Now I competitively powerlift, which I never thought would even be anywhere in my future. Just it, it didn't seem possible from not being able to close my hands to being able to hold a bar with 300 pounds on it. So things like that are pretty awesome to think about now. I'm able to go train everybody that I want. I'm able to go play, you know, coaching tennis. I'm able to go play all day and hold a racket and, you know, not be in pain by the end of it. So I, my health is thriving and I'm so happy about it.
0: I'm so happy for you. I'm so glad you've had such a good outcome and are in such a good place now. That's awesome. So where could the listeners find you now?
1: So I'm on Instagram uh La Lexia Prince. It's going to be spelled L-A-L-E-C-S-I-A Prince, P-R-I-N-C-E. I think you said you were just going to put it in the show notes as well. Yes. And then I'm actually currently building a website, transitioning more to online to reach, be able to reach more people and help more people, hopefully. So that website should be up shortly. It will be in the link in my bio, but uh, we can also put it in the show notes here. It's going to be
0: athleteup.life. Well, that's two places you can find Lexi. I'm just glad to have you on the show and hear your story and hopefully you can help others.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm stoked to be on the show and I'm really excited about your mission and starting the show. So I look forward to hearing all your episodes. All
0: right. Good. Click follow Lexi and you can hear Definitely. every episode. <laughs> thank you, Marla. All right. Thank you. Be sure and follow Open-Minded Healing so you'll get every new episode as soon as it's released each Tuesday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.